0: 630 Chad inside sports with Reed Wilkins weekdays at six on 630 Chad. First minute of the second period in Toronto. It is game seven, Montreal Canadiens up against the Maple Leafs. We are still looking for the first goal and we'll keep you updated here on inside sports. I was looking around. I'm not even sure if this game is televised, so you'll just have to check into inside sports and will periodically let you know what's going on in the game also tonight six and a half minutes left in the first period Bruins up one nothing on the Islanders Charlie Coyle with the goal there it is his second of the playoffs uh yes I do appreciate you tuning in tonight have you resisted the call of game seven to listen to inside sports well I appreciate it if uh you do Stick with me tonight, or at least part of the show, as we have. Uh, well, l- like I was saying to Jay Lynn, this could be, this could wind up being the most watched NHL game in Canadian history. That's what we're looking at tonight. Game six had huge ratings, and game seven likely to have even bigger ratings, especially if this stays close, and we have yet to have a goal tonight. I, I gave it the old Google, and of course the internet is never wrong, And we got a page, of course, most watched television broadcasts in Canada. And they are all sporting events or Olympic opening opening or closing ceremonies. And they're pretty, most of them are Olympic themed. And I'm sure you'll, will not be surprised. The most watched broadcast ever in Canadian television history, February 28th, 2010, in Vancouver, Canada versus United States in the men's hockey gold medal game with a viewership of 16.67 million, around half the population of Canada at the time. The closing and opening ceremonies from that year's Olympics are ranked 2 and 3. Other Canadian hockey games are up there from 2010, the 22 or the uh, 2002 gold medal game where canada broke the 50-year gold medal drought is on there that's uh number six canada versus the united states so coming into tonight and i think we'll know the ratings around one o'clock tomorrow afternoon coming into tonight the eighth most watched broadcast in canadian history the Seventh game of the 2011 Stanley Cup Finals between the Bruins and the Canucks, which is number one for NHL games at $8.64 million June 15th, 2011. So this game, a first-round game, but pretty significant in the Canadian division in between Montreal and Toronto, could surpass that tonight. You got some Super Bowls on there, the uh, Raptors winning the title in game six against the Golden State Warriors, the 11th most watched broadcast in Canadian history. So that just gives you an idea of what we're looking at. The only other NHL game in the top 20 is from the same Stanley Cup final, 2011, Boston-Vancouver. And that was uh, game six when Vancouver could have won the cup at Boston and they didn't and they came home and they lost again. So there's your uh, random trivia for tonight as Brendan Gallagher Opens the scoring for the Canadians, 3 2 into the second period. An off-wing shot, a right-hand shot coming down the left side, and it looked like it just went through, went underneath Jack Campbell. We'll take a look at the replay here. As Marner was on the attack and he got poke-checked at the offensive blue line, Gallagher got the loose puck, and that is a bad goal. There's no other way to put it. It was not screened. It was not deflected on the way in. It's coming in from Gallagher right at the top of the circle, and it's straight five hole on Campbell. He just didn't get down in time and didn't stop it. So the Canadians score first, and uh, they have the lead against the Maple Leafs in game seven. As the Maple Leafs are trying to win a series for the first time in 2004, it's not as if they haven't had their chances. They have lost seven straight games in which they could have won a series. The the last time the Leafs won, April 20th, 2004, they played a game seven against the Ottawa Senators, and they won it 4-1 on home ice. Since then, here's the list of heartbreak for Leafs Nation. May 13th, 2013, the blown lead against Boston. They lose game seven, five, four in overtime. April 25th, 2018, they're in Boston for game seven again. They lose seven, four. April 21st, 2019, they're on home ice. They are on home ice with a 3-2 series lead against the Bruins, and they lose 4-2. They go back into Beantown two games later, and Boston takes it 5-1, and then last year in the bubble as Carey Price robs Zach Hyman from point blank. Hyman all alone cutting in front, 15-57 left in the second. Gorgeous chance to tie it. And he cannot score. And there's the difference, and there's why goaltending is the most important position on the ice. And it doesn't matter if you have McDavid, Dreisaitl, Marner, Matthews, McKinnon, Ovechkin. List your star player. Goaltending is the most important position on the ice. And Campbell is beaten by one that he should have stopped, and Price stops one where no one would have blamed the goaltender if it went in. Because Hyman's all alone in front of the net and is shooting from point blank. And Price got the left pad down to make the save. And then last year in the bubble, the Leafs were in a fifth and deciding game against Columbus, lost 3-0. And then this year, game six against the Canadians, they're up three games to one. They lose 4-3 in overtime. Saturday night, they're up three games to two. And they come back from 2 nothing down in the game to tie it. And the Canadians win 3-2 in overtime. So seven consecutive games, the Leafs... Have, uh, or in seven consecutive games in which the Leafs could have won a series, they have lost the game. Kind of makes me think back to the, that 1925 series against the Toronto St. Pat's where, no, nah, I'm not, we're not, we're not going to go that far back. <laughs> the St. Pat's did lose the series. This is before they, well, I brought it up. I might as well tell you what happened now. I don't want to leave you hanging there all unfulfilled. That was the 1925 NHL championship. The NHL did not have sole control of the Stanley cup and the Montreal Canadiens won the first game of the two-game total goal series 3-2 and then won the second game 2-0 to take the series five goals to two. Don't do total goal series in the NHL even more. It'd be fun if they maybe brought it back for a playing round or something like that. Always happy to hear from you. The hotline is presented by CertainTeed, professional-grade building materials. It is 780-496-0063. There is another game going on tonight, as I mentioned, now late in the first period. Bruins leading the Islanders 1-0 as uh, Boston is up One zip in that series. Vegas beaten pretty badly last night by the Colorado Avalanche, who looked great. We'll have Brian Blessing on the show a little bit later on from the Vegas Hockey Hotline. He's always fun to check in with. And Derek Laxtal is going to join us tonight. Uh, We often talk to him after the Dallas Stars season ends. The former Oil Kings coach, now an assistant coach for the Dallas Stars, not able to make the playoffs after going to the Stanley Cup final last year. Kind of a weird year for Dallas. They had the delayed start to the season because of COVID. Remember, they had that storm hit Dallas that affected their schedule as well. And uh, tons of overtime. And I think they wound up with 14 overtime or shootout losses in just a 56-game schedule. And if they could have won a few of those, uh, they would have got in because they wound up missing the playoffs by four points. So Derek's going to tell us how things have gone down for him as well. Okay, so one nothing Canadians leading it five and a half minutes into the second period. Of course, we will keep you updated, and we'll have a jovial chat with Jack Michaels when we get back to Inside Sports. <laughs> 18 left in the second period. Canadians leading the Leafs 1-0. Brendan Gallagher with the only goal of the game. And quite frankly, one of the most compelling hockey games that I will ever witness. And I've been lucky to witness a few. But Toronto, Montreal, for the first time since the 1970s, Canada's two original six teams, Canada's two largest fan bases and that's nothing against Oilers fans or their passion or anything like that. It just comes down to population and they're going head to head in a game seven with all the other surrounding storylines a year where a year in which it's all Canadian teams in one division and in which the Toronto Maple Leafs GM came out and said, we're going for it. I'll trade anything. We got to go get it. This is our year. And they are up three, one in the series. And now it's tied and now they're down in the game and they have this extended history of not being able to put series away. This is storyline central as we welcome Jack Michaels to the show. And you and I love storylines and we love the hype around games, Jack. And we both know sometimes hype can go a little too far. I don't think a game like this can be overhyped. This is beautiful. Well,
1: you know, obviously, for me, I look at it as, you know, this is is a must win for Toronto. I I think Toronto has a chance to go beyond the next round. I I don't think Montreal does. And the rest of it, as you can imagine, you know, for me, is ultimately I, I don't have the same ties. I don't have the same... Uh, infatuation with this particular rivalry for me it's always been a regional rivalry not unlike you know Pittsburgh Philly Uh, I get it Toronto and Montreal were in the league uh, before any of us were alive and they were the two franchises that everyone grew up with and it's the same way really I I think uh, you know a lot of Canadians will never we'll never like the Toronto Blue Jays with the same fervor they liked uh, the Montreal Expos because Montreal was first. Uh, So I don't have the same interest in this series other than, you know, you've got a Toronto club that, uh, as you indicated, uh, feels like, you know, now's the time. Uh, Their window is, is actually closing with this group together, and so they need to get something done. And, you know, a loss for them, I think, is much more damaging uh, than it would be for the Canadians, who who have been a lot like, uh, you know, I would use the analogy. Remember the, the movie Rounders, Reed? They've yes. just been hanging around. <laughs> and Toronto's allowed them to hang around, and now they're in real jeopardy of losing the series.
0: Yeah. Well, and goal. I I don't know if you're able to watch the goal, or if you're a uh, golfer. Oh yeah, no, I, I, yeah, okay. I've,
1: I've watched it. I mean, I you know, look, I I still have interest in it. Obviously, I I still I still find it compelling for some of the same reasons uh, you do. I just don't have a lot of a lot of skin in the game, so I probably wouldn't go as far as you in terms of you know. I mean, it's not beyond compelling for me. I, I think. Uh, you know, I think the next series has a lot, has a chance to be a much better, you know, quality series. I, I wouldn't necessarily say this series has been filled with breathtaking hockey. Uh, you know, to to some degree, I, I feel like the the Edmonton-Winnipeg series, even though it was shorter, uh, you know, featured better games. Um, this one has potential to be special for sure. But it was it was interesting. I, I viewed the first period of tonight's game seven in much the same lens i viewed the first period of game one for the edmonton oilers uh i thought it was a, a tentative start and that favors the underdog which of course is still montreal even though we're in a game seven
0: Oh, yeah, good point. I mean, I was texting with a couple of uh, buddies this afternoon about the series, and they said, well, I, I, everything in my brain is telling me the Leafs should still win, right? <laughs> Which is the interesting thing. Yeah, but I
1: think the Leafs I, have a better team. I, I do. I, I, I think
0: that... Well, for sure they do.
1: Yeah, they, they have a better team. Uh, they should win the series. But, you know, again, they've allowed Montreal to kind of hang around in the series. And, you know, when you do that, uh, and you find yourself in a game seven, then you're subject to, you know, kind of the, the vagaries of a game seven. And, and, you know, that's a, that's a shot that all year long, Jack Campbell has stocked. but this is the first time, you know, he's goaltended a club in the playoffs. So it's a, it's a different animal. And, um, you know, I'm, I look, I, as you know, I am not as much of a fan of Carey price as a lot of, our colleagues, and a lot of my, you know, fellow Canadians. But I certainly like him in the goaltending matchup.
0: Well, no doubt about that. And he's been good tonight. Jack Michaels checking in tonight on Inside Sports as we keep you updated on Montreal and Toronto with the Canadians leading 1-0 with nine minutes left in the second period. Jack, the uh, play-by-play voice for the Edmonton Oilers on Ched and the uh, regional Sportsnet television broadcasts. As well. Yeah. And this is uh, I mean, this is one where it's 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 so interesting. To And and you're right, Jack. I think for me, I I probably find it more interesting than you because of uh, of the history and certainly people around our age had their own NHL team to cheer for, whether you're here in Edmonton and can cheer for the Oilers or Calgarians can cheer for the Flames. But, you know, well, my my God father, banking. my father, it was, it was pick Canadians a team. Before the Oilers got here, right? Yeah, so- yeah, and my like my father, even though he grew up in, in Southern Ontario, you know, he didn't grow up in Toronto. He grew up on the other side of Southern Ontario in Sarnia as a kid, picked the Canadians. And because right. of that, he's still hoping for the Canadians tonight, even though the Oilers no, now so is number one choice?
1: team. I mean, you're... Right. Your father was no dope. I, I believe the Canadians uh, would, would have a much better track record in the 70s than certainly the, uh, the Maple Leafs did. And, uh, you know, I caught the tail end of that. I mean, I, I will say this. It does bring me back a little bit to when I first started watching hockey because, as you know, the Penguins were irrelevant until they drafted Lemieux in the mid-80s. And so I grew up watching, you know, CBC, a fuzzy station out of London, Ontario. We would get it in the town I grew up in. And, I, you know, I watched those often, you know, lopsided matchups of, you know, the leftover vestiges of the Canadians' late 70s dynasty against uh, a John Brophy-led and often hopelessly outclassed Maple Leaf squad of uh, Paul Matier, Vive, and, and the like. So, you know, trust me, I, I can appreciate it. I just, I, I found that as this series moved along, I just... When you don't have any skin in the game, it's not the same. And uh, I don't really despise either club, and I also don't have much of an interest in either club, not the same interest that I'm sure, again, uh, the other 35 million-plus in this country would have.
0: All right, Jack, before I let you go, it's it's been a week. How have you been digesting the Oilers getting swept by the Jets?
1: Well, I mean, you know, the biggest thing I felt was in Edmonton's favor entering the series was the firepower of the Oilers' top players against what I felt was an overmatched Winnipeg defense. I didn't think, and nothing had had shown me throughout the year, that Winnipeg either had the defense or even, you know, I mean, Shifley had not done well against McDavid head-to-head throughout the season. Uh, their defense is undersized, you know, game players. I mean, you're, you're talking about guys like Tucker Pullman and Dylan DeMello on the right side instead of, you know, Tyler Myers and Jacob Truman Dustin Bufflin. I mean, I, I just didn't feel like Winnipeg had the horses on the back end to maintain. And because they didn't have any advantage five-on-five five among the forward groupings, I liked Edmonton, you know, being able to just simply do Everything a little bit better than Winnipeg, with the with the D being the biggest advantage. You know, with guys like Darnell Nurse and Tyson Berry, uh, Winnipeg didn't have any of those players. But Winnipeg's defense held sway, and they got great goaltending from Connor Hellebuck, And Edmonton missed an opportunity. I felt like. You know, to to step on Winnipeg's collective throat early in Game One and reinforce the idea that the playoffs would not be any different than the results of the regular season. Their tentative start, I think, allowed Winnipeg to build some early confidence, and it went from there. Having said that, you know, three of the four games were ultimately airtight, and uh, you know that's that's a little solace, though. I mean, it's it's a it's a disappointing loss, and ultimately, you've got to go back to the old adage that says you don't usually win in your second or third crack at it. The Oilers just have to keep going back, keep going back, uh, learn from their tentative start in game one, learn uh, from some of the mistakes that cost them leads in games three and four, and, and and find a way to win those games in future postseasons. But the only way you do that, Reed, is to go back to the postseason three, four, five, six years. Usually it's it's, there's no shortcuts. Uh, you know, Pittsburgh's first cup would be the exception, I guess, because they got it done in their third year and they got to the Stanley Cup final game six in their second year. But look at what happened and, and look at all the playoff disappointments that went on in between, you know, that first Crosby Cup in '09. And his second, which seemed at long last in 2016, that was a seven-year wait. Washington, St. Louis, Tampa Bay, the each of the last three Stanley Cup champions had weights of at least seven years of, of essentially the same core just beating on that door. So it may not be solved next year. It may not be solved the year after that Reed, If you're the Oilers, and an Oiler an fan, you're hoping that four and five and six return trips to the postseason. If you're around it, you ultimately win it. But there's no guarantee. Just ask San Jose.
0: Jack, this was a pleasure as always, my friend. You know, I'm going to be uh, asking you to grace me with your presence throughout the offseason here on Inside Sports, my friend. And
1: occasionally I'll respond in the affirmative.
0: <laughs> That's all I can hope for. Still one nothing Montreal on the second. That was Jack Michaels. This is Inside Sports on chat. With Pierre Engvall in the penalty box for holding, Corey Perry scores a power play goal for the Montreal Canadiens. To put them up two nothing. Now four and a half minutes left in the second period of Game Seven. The shot from Nick Suzuki looked like it was going wide. Perry in front has the puck bank in off his left knee, and Montreal is up two zip. Now remember, Montreal led in Game Five, three nothing. Wound up going to overtime. Montreal did win, but the Leafs came back. Montreal led two nothing in the third period of Game Six on Saturday and the Leafs came back to tie it before Montreal won in overtime. So it's not over, but it is advantage for the Canadians right now with Corey Perry getting the power play goal. Also in the NHL tonight, it's now after the first period in Boston. Bruins up 1-0 on the Islanders, also out shooting the Isles 15-6. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Yeah, this is uh, this is a fun one, watching Game 7 while I bring you the show this evening. Hope you're having a great day. Hope your Monday, uh, your week is off to a good start with the Monday. I got out and played golf this morning, played nine holes at Riverside. And to my surprise, I did not completely suck, which is uh, possibly the best I'm going to play golf all summer. Anyway, I, I'm always happy to catch up with this gentleman. We have been talking to each other for well, I don't know, Maybe 10 years maybe? Probably almost 10 10 years. He used to coach the Edmonton Oil Kings. Now he's the assistant coach of the Dallas Stars. Derek Laxtall is checking in this evening. Derek, how are you doing, man? I'm not too bad. Reed, how are you doing? I'm doing quite well. It is a pleasure to talk to you, though I know, uh, of course... You wish that it was uh, a little later on in the in the spring and summer here because I know you guys were hoping to go deep with the Dallas Stars again. Now, I'll ask you this first. When you're uh, not coaching and you're out of the heat of the season, are you able to sit down and watch Game 7 tonight? Can you comfortably do that? Well,
2: uh, I'll be honest with you, Reid. We actually just got back to Canada on Saturday night and we're going through the protocol of the quarantining and we're actually at our cabin here in, in uh, northern Manitoba going through the quarantine, and we're just kind of flipping from game to game. So we're just kind of trying to get uh, acclimated to uh, our confinement of our cabin and our lot. So I've been I'm kind of watching hockey spotty here and here, and I've been following the score there, and I just think I just got the update. You said Montreal was up 2-0 on Toronto. Um, so it's uh, that, that's an incredible a, a series right now with uh, ca- the Canadians never stay and die, and, and it uh, was great to see uh, one of our former players, uh, Corey Perry, uh, contributing in that series. He's a he's a, a hell of a, a, a person and a hell of a player. I can tell you that.
0: Well, I'm I'm glad you brought that up because, as you know from uh, you know living in Edmonton and having still ties to the city, you know that Oilers fans were uh, never, never liked Corey Perry. <laughs> Probably a lot of opposing fan bases don't like uh, Corey Perry. But as you said, great player and also a great person, which perhaps doesn't always shine through on the ice. It doesn't have to. But uh, tell us a little bit about what he's like and what he meant to Dallas last year.
2: Well, you know, uh, when I first went in there the year before then we signed him last year, I was a little intimidated just because obviously you're getting a perennial other who's won a Stanley Cup with Anaheim, and he's, you know, he's obviously going to be a Hall of Famer when his career is finished. And, uh, you know, he was he was outstanding. He was uh, great to work with. Uh, he was net front on uh, on our second power play. I run, I run the power play for Dallas, and uh, he was instrumental in, in our run going to uh, the Stanley Cup Finals last year. Like, I would set up some plays, and he'd say, hey, I like that. Let's try that. And he would run it to a tee, and then we ended up scoring goals off. it. so... You know, uh, it gave me a lot of confidence to to work with an athlete of that stature, and obviously to gain that trust and, and him to have that belief in what I was teaching to run, and for him to execute it and to succeed uh, was was pretty special. And uh, you know, he just I think his confidence grew in, in what I knew and, and how I taught it, and you know, obviously our, our power play. Last year in the Stanley Cup finals was outstanding. It was one, or number one and two, if you look at the numbers from series to series to series. And even this year, I think we ended up number five in the NHL. And, and uh, so he, uh, you know, he gave me a lot of confidence as a coach in that area. But for me, it just, you know, to have a, an athlete of that stature on your hockey club and for a guy that doesn't skate that great anymore, he's, he's got great hands, he's got great compete, he's got great will, you know, and he's got a great head for the game.
0: Where does he get the energy to be such an irritant every night? Because, you know, I've had coaches, scouts, even former players say to me that, you know, some guys don't play physical or can't be, you know, cross the line because they just don't have it in them as a person. They say, but you're saying like, Corey's such a nice guy, yet he, to me, gladly wears the villain's hat when he steps on the ice. Where does that come from for him?
2: well i think he enjoys that i think he enjoys being the antagonizer on the ice i think he enjoys getting under the uh, other team's star's skin and i think he fuels off it i think he becomes a better player when he when he's involved in the game when he gets under the other uh, team's skin and you see that in his game he's kind of got that little bit of you know i'm not going to use the word but just uh you know that attitude in his game where you know it's, it's take it or leave it or it's my way or the highway and uh He's great at it, and I think that uh, and he, and he, he's willing to do it. He's willing to go to those hard areas at the front of the net. He's willing to give you a little bump, a little stick, and he's not dirty by any means. But he's just he's smart. He's he's tactical with it, and uh, you know he's just uh, he's fearless. And you know he knows he's gonna get a shot here and there, but he'll do whatever it takes for your team to win. And uh, you know I think if you if you look at this, if Montreal wins this series against Toronto. You could probably go back and see how he has, you know, woven his way through that series. And if you look at the Canadians in the start of the season, he wasn't even playing. He was sitting out. And then he got in and then all of a sudden, you know, his, his little nastiness starts to, uh, you know, exude on the team. And you see the success that uh, that he's brought to that team
0: second period just ending with a uh, quick face-off in the Montreal end so the Canadians up 2-0 in Toronto after two Derek Laxall checking in on inside sports assistant coach of the Dallas Stars game seven you you've coached in several as a head coach or as an assistant you're in a Western Hockey League final game seven as a head coach with the Oil Kings we, we talk a lot to the players about handling the pressure and the pace and making every play count What's it like, coach? Coaching in a game seven, and does it, can it get maybe not easier, but can you feel a little more prepared as you move on too?
2: Well, you know it's interesting. I listened to a couple uh, sports shows here, and you know uh, analysts have been asking that question with coaches, and you know I think the one thing that's in common is is you have to you have to make sure your team is calm. Going into the game, so they can perform at their best, and that's tough because you know they're anxious. Uh, you know they're a little bit, uh, a little bit bent out of sorts for the game, and they know what's at stake. But you're trying to get them in a, in a good place. You're trying to get them balanced. And the biggest thing is too is they can't read on you that you're nervous going into Game Seven because that'll just reflect right back on them. And I'll, I'll tell you a little story, Reid. We were in the American League Finals going into Game Seven in Toronto. And we were taking the bus from downtown Toronto to the Rico Center and it was usually a twenty minute ride. It took us an hour and a half uh because of the traffic and we ended up losing six one. But I, I look I reflect back on that and one thing I talk about is our guys were you could tell they were stressed, they were out of sorts because their their ritual was out of whack and it obviously didn't go our way in the game and so I think it's important that, you know, you get your group in a good mindset they have to be calm and i think you have to be i think you have to be uh at peace of the outcome you have to understand that it's going to be a tough game it could it might not go in your favor and it might go in your favor and i think if you come if you come to peace with that you get a lot more relaxed and the players the players they they feed off that
0: yeah, uh that series Derek is talking about the uh twenty eighteen Calder Cup final. Uh Derek took the Texas Stars to game seven against the Marlies. And uh uh yeah, you guys won Game Six in Toronto to force the seventh game, and then they were able to beat you guys in the seventh game. Okay, this year's Dallas Stars team. You know, well, you know what? I'm even gonna I was gonna ask you a question about the start of the season. I'm even gonna go further back than that. Because you guys go all the way to the Stanley Cup final in, in September. And then we didn't know what was happening, what was happening. And then the season starts in January. And I'm sure there was a lot of hype around the team. Well, they're going to be good again. What What was it like going through camp with a team that had been to the final but hadn't won? Was like is, I mean, obviously you want to go as far into the playoffs as possible, but did it feel different than, than other years where maybe you're coming back after missing the playoffs or not going as far as you would have wanted?
2: Well, I, th- I think the good thing was, like, you know, obviously we know what happened now. We'll can- talk about that in a little bit. But going into that training camp, you know, what our guys were outstanding. Um, the guys that were in Dallas were training. They were hungry. We thought our camp was outstanding. Uh, obviously, we knew that Tyler Sagan wasn't going to play. He had hip surgery, was done for the year. We know that Ben Bishop wasn't going to play. And then we found out, I think, uh, right in the training camp that Rupi Hintz had a uh, abdominal issue that he was only playing two out of three games or maybe on one leg the whole year and then we lost we uh Radulov got hurt in training camp and he exited eight games into the season so we knew going through training camp this was going to be a real tough tough year and we would have to push along some american hockey League players we had probably five or six in a lineup every night so we knew that our backs were against the wall right off the hop but our guys like Jamie Ben, um, you know, our defense uh, Heskinen, Klingberg, Alexiak. These guys came back in great shape. They were they were outstanding citizens, and we knew that we would have a chance. Um, but we got hit with COVID right in training camp, um, and we we got hit hard. Our players, we uh, I think uh, they pushed back some games right off the hop, and then we kind of got going. We got off to a good start, four and zero, and then we lost Radulov and. I think our power play had eight goals in the first two games. So I think it was a, a, we tied a, a record that had been there since 1965 or something like that. So right. <laughs> it was kind of a great start and it was unbelievable. And then we got hit uh, with some uh, those guys that got knocked out like uh, Raduloff left. And it was a struggle. And when we got into February, we got about a month into the season, we got that snowstorm where Dallas got, what, two feet of snow and that, that freeze out for a week, which shut down the city and shut down the state. And we had four games. We had COVID four games, and we had four games in that shutdown. And they ended up um, rebalancing our schedule without extending it. And we ended up playing 44 games in 73 nights. Can you imagine that? Like, that that was the hardest schedule of any team in NHL. So this is what it looked like. We played four out of four games in six nights in a week. And we did that for 11 weeks in a row from February on. And we didn't practice once. From February 28th to the end of the season, because we had no practice time and we never had more than two days off, we only had one day between games. We never had two days off for like two and a half months, so it was uh, it was incredible. Now that being said, Reed, I'm going. I know I'm going on a little bit here, but we lost 14 overtime games and shootouts, and that was probably the the, the, uh, the reason we didn't make the playoffs. We if we get five of those, we miss the playoffs by four four points. We're in.
0: Well, yeah, I was looking back at your season, and I'd forgotten about that all the overtime and shootout losses you guys had. And I think you only—just checking now—was it five and fourteen, and six? I think you were six. So you had twenty of fifty-six games go to overtime. First of all, the Oilers only had five, so you guys had twenty of fifty-six games go to overtime, and you only won six. So if you could have won half, you're you're in the playoffs. You're ahead of Nashville.
2: Yeah, we're you know what, and we uh, we went right down to the end of the season there, and we you know we just we just ran out of gas. You could just see we were really pushing our guys, you know, and we we didn't have any bad games. Like our guys played hard, and analytically here, like um, I think our team when we we had to break down the end of the season, we were the number one team in the NHL for uh, breaking pucks out. We were the number one team in the NHL for uh, limited zone D zone time. So we were we were not in our zone very long. And when we were there, we broke out quick. Um, the one area that we uh, we uh, did struggle was just we didn't have the skill to score. We had to win the 2-1, 3-2 games. And if our power play didn't score, we really struggled, which is kind of a little bit like we were the year before. But we had a breakout season with one of our youngsters, Jason Robertson, who's a heck of a talent. And then so, you know, if we can get Seguin back next year and get Radulov back next year and Rupi hits the 100%, um, I like the Dallas Stars. I like the way we play. We, we, we check hard. We play hard. And uh, that that team has a will. Um, Obviously, once went to the Stanley Cup finals, it was a disappointment not making the playoffs. But uh, we know that the future is bright again for the Dallas Stars.
0: Derek, I just want to ask you one more. And I I love having you on. And thanks for always being so generous with your time. I, I want to ask you about the snowstorm. And you're a Canadian. I mean, you're in northern Manitoba right now. You lived in Edmonton, and you know what it's like. Canadians here, ah, oh, this city shut down because of a snowstorm. Yeah, they can't handle it. But I, I, I remember talking to Andy Moog, who lives in the Dallas area, shortly after that, and he was like, "Like this was bad. Like this was a legitimately. If this was in Edmonton, this would be considered a bad snowflake." Tell us what it was, what it was like, and how it hindered the city.
2: Well, you know, just first of all, you have to start with the. The, uh, the state was not set up with the power grid to handle to handle the, uh, the overload capacity. Um, it actually shut down. So people don't have electricity in their house and they can't start their furnaces. So what happened is now, first of all, the electrical grid's out. The, the roads are shut down because people don't know how to drive on, on snow. They don't have the equipment to, to plow the, the, uh, the interstates and the tollways. But what happened is now you're starting to get people freezing in their homes and you're getting pipes bursting. Water pipes are bursting all over, and then you're having uh, water issues. So they uh, water, you had to boil it, boiling issues. Um, so it just it just spiraled. It just went, and so here we are. We're, we're practicing. We're, we're not supposed to practice, and we're playing. We were actually getting ready for a game, and they shut us down, I think, five minutes before game time just because, you know, people were getting upset because everybody, everybody's having hardships in, in Dallas, and here we are playing a hockey game. So it really, uh, that they shut us down for a week and a half, but it was bad. Like there were still people without power and still people without water. I think for a month or two months or three months after the storm, it was Jeez. really bad. And, and some of the stories were just horrific of, uh, you know, people that couldn't get help and, uh, <laughs> it was a really, it was a real tragedy and uh as canadians i guess we don't see it that way but they just weren't set up like if they're having uh, uh meetings now or uh they're looking into why wasn't the grid and they now they're talking about the grid is going to have issues in the summertime because of all the heat and all the load on the uh, on the grid so uh, they've got a lot of work to do in texas um you know they had uh meetings i think in 2012 about the same issue um and it was never fixed so it, it kind of caught him again. It hit him in the butt. So it'll be interesting, what happens moving forward. But it's uh it was a it was a tragedy. It was a, a lot of people died, and it was a uh, it was a, a tough a tough week and a half. And we obviously paid the price for it as a hockey team. But you know, if that's the worst of our problems, then uh, you know we can obviously get through that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, thanks for sharing that experience because I, I, I'm glad you it, it's not something to, to make light of for, for sure, even, even though we, we know about bad snow here in this part of the country. Derek, uh, I, I'll tell you what, let's try to do this more than once a year as we move along because we usually do it after the season. Let's, let's try to fit another one or two of these in each calendar year. Sound good? Because I love having you.
1: Yeah.
2: Anytime I'm available, Reed, And now, now, I want to understand, as you said, you were golfing today. Now you said you golf pretty well. Now, are the what are the rules, or can you golf by yourself, or can you golf with somebody else? Because if you're golfing by yourself, then I can understand why you golf <laughs> so well.
0: Yeah, that's a that's a good question. I did golf with somebody, and uh, I think uh, I think it ends today that you could only golf in pairs. Starting tomorrow, it's back to foursomes. So what did you know? What it is in Manitoba? I haven't even checked.
2: Well, Manitoba Manitoba shut down. I don't even think there's I think I think you can golf by yourself, but uh manitoba is a disaster right now it's really bad and uh you know the counts are still pretty high in winnipeg area but uh, i'm amazed at how shut down it i left texas on friday Uh, i went to a nascar race last sunday in austin texas and it's wide open like it's uh you know everybody's uh, pretty well dual vaccinated and it does the vaccination does work and so if you don't have the vaccination if you're listening go get it it works um it's not a conspiracy and uh, I've seen it. Uh, I've seen the proof of it working in Texas, and it's wide open down there. I was quite shocked when I came back.
0: Yeah. Well, I tell you what, Derek. Uh, yeah, it, I hope the quarantine goes smoothly, and, and you got the hockey and some uh, old DVDs kicking around to throw in as well, buddy. I really appreciate this. All the best.
1: All right, Ray. Thanks
2: very much, and uh, stay safe.
0: That is Derek Laxtall on Inside Sports. Uh, Yeah, I've been talking to him ever since he was the head coach of the Oil Kings, went to the Texas Stars in the AHL, now an assistant coach with the Dallas Stars, giving you the lowdown on their season going through COVID, going through the winter storm. And as he told you, a lot of injuries and a condensed schedule, and they wound up missing the playoffs by four points. Second intermission, Habs up 2-Zip. This is Inside Sports. can also tell you that the New York Islanders are on the board halfway through the second period in Boston. It's now 1-1. Josh Bailey, power play goal, his fourth of the postseason and third period underway soon in Toronto. Canadians leading the Maple Leafs 2-0 on goals by Gallagher and Perry. That was awesome to have Derek Laxdahl on the show, assistant coach of the Dallas Stars. Still checks in on Inside Sports. Uh, He remembers us from his days coaching the Edmonton Oil Kings. Of course, we will keep you updated on the Canadians and the Maple Leafs. Don't even bother checking if it's on television. We'll just keep you updated here. (laughs) Brian Blessing from the Vegas Hockey Hotline is coming up. It's Inside Sports on Chad. Appreciate you tuning in tonight.